welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. I am thrilled that I am meeting up with Dr. Leif Davis, Professor of English at Simon Fraser University. She is a co-founder of the Department of English Master of Arts program with specialization in print culture. She is also the director of Simon Fraser University's Center for Scottish Studies. Leif is the author of Acts of Union, Scotland and the Negotiation of the British Nation, Music, Post-Colonialism and Gender, The Construction of Irish Identity. She is a co-editor of Scotland and the Borders of Romanticism and Robert Burns and Transatlantic Culture. Leif is currently working on a monograph entitled Media and Cultural Memory in Britain and Ireland, 1688 to 1745. Today, she shares her thoughts on the Jacobite memoirs of the Rebellion of 1745. This promises to be an extraordinary discussion. So put the kettle on and add your thoughts on tea, toast, and trivia. Welcome, Leaf. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Leaf is a collector of stories. Stories that have been kept safe in the folds of history, waiting to be heard. So interesting, really, what cultural memory is all about. The whole methodology that I've been using and exploring when you're talking about this, it just resonates with me because I'm just moving on to work on a Jacobite narrative, which is a manuscript book. It's called The Lion in Mourning. And it was just interesting. This fellow called Robert Forbes, he was an Episcopalian minister and he went to join Bonnie Prince Charlie, but he was arrested and put in Sterling Castle Jail and then Edinburgh Castle Jail. And he started collecting stories of the men who were imprisoned with him and to find out about what their experiences were. And when he got out of prison, he continued and he wrote down the stories and he collected them. And there's like 10 volumes of these manuscript stories. I think stories get told in different ways. As you know, my interest is in how certain media are more likely to be repeated and translated and read more than other media. The person I was telling you about, Robert Forbes, who collected the Jacobite stories, he didn't want them published. He held on to them like relics. So they were, for him, a memorial and a memory of the Jacobites, but they weren't anything he wanted to have published. I find that really interesting. But as a result, what we have about the Jacobite rebellion, we have the government's perspective, and that's become so much part of the historical record that when we read other things, we don't read them properly because we have so much of a sense of what the original story and history is like, that that doesn't fit into our record. I think it's a question of how media works to spread or to suppress or make exclusive certain stories. That's what really interests me. We are living a story right now, and that story is going to go through several iterations. And by the time 100 years comes and they look back, what story do we tell and how do we preserve our stories? Because it's the stories of ordinary men and women, like those people in the jail, 
that he captured, and I understand why he felt they were so moving and so important, because they weren't just words, they were lives. Yeah. Robert Forbes was very careful to figure out as accurate as possible a story as he could. So he interviewed people in the Citadel in Leith, where he was living. People came and told him his stories about what had happened to them in jail or how they rode Bonnie Prince Charlie over the sea. So all of these people from all walks of life came and he recorded their stories. It's quite extraordinary as a document. I'm working on that right now and I have a, a fellowship supposed to be at, in Edinburgh, but obviously I'm not going to Edinburgh right now, but I'm starting to work on that project. I'm really excited about that. It's a document that's really important for Scottish history, but not many people really know about it. And even historians don't use the manuscript. They use a really imperfect printed version of the document, but they don't look at the handwriting. Handwriting is so much part of a person. The hand that wrote the manuscript, it's the connection to the body. It's such an embodied kind of thing. Somebody had to trust him because he told the story. If you don't trust anybody, you won't tell the story to that person. So he must have been an unusual man to gain such a following. True. Such an interesting point, especially in his case, because there was the, the whole political problem of being a Jacobite, which was treasonous. If you're talking about Jacobite activity, basically, you've got to trust the person that you are talking to, that they're not going to betray you to authorities and that you won't be prosecuted because of that. It's quite extraordinary when you think of him back in 1747, talking to people who just lived through the Jacobite rising and getting their stories and trying to preserve them. He talks about this as a memorial so it can be remembered because I think even then he had definite suspicion that the stories of the Jacobites weren't going to be remembered, that the stories that we were going to continue to have would be the, the stories of from the government perspective, from the Hanoverian perspective. He was very considerate about his approach and he wanted to get as much information and maintain and retain that information for posterity, basically, for the record of the people who lost. Because we don't get too many records of people who who didn't win rebellions. <laughs> How do you read that type of writing? Because I have seen it and it's very difficult. Yes, it is very difficult. I'll just see if I can find the images because I can show you what the writing is. Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Okay, I'm going to share my screen for a second, Rebecca. This is an image of the lion in mourning. This is his collection of Jacobite stories. And you can see this is a cover and he's pasted onto it relics, basically. There's a piece of the cloth that Bonnie Prince Charlie was supposed to have worn when he was in disguise as Betty Burke with Flora MacDonald. And then you can see this is what the handwriting looks like. It's all very neatly done. And he's got little notes here at the bottom. He's got page numbers, footnotes. It's really represented as a book. And he put it together with loving care. 
all of these stories that he collected. Here we are, the last and dying speech of Robert Lyon, presbyter at Perth. These were the stories of people who were the last speeches of people who were going to be executed. What Robert Forbes was doing was collecting all of these together as a memorial to the story of people who were not the victors, hadn't won the battles, and therefore were going to lose their stories along the way. He's quite amazing in the care that he gives to these stories. It's like he realizes he is the person who is left at the end of Hamlet to reckon with telling the story of the tragedy. (laughs) He's got that all figured out. History is made up of ordinary people, but we don't hear about ordinary people. We hear about the people with titles, but the greatest things that have happened are on the ground. And I think that this is a story about someone who understood that. Yeah, I think he's trying to get a picture of the past of what happened. He's trying to record it. We have to bear in mind he's got his own perspectives and his own obvious agendas. And so he collects stories of atrocities, but there were claims by the government that those atrocities had never happened. But he collects stories that suggest those atrocities had happened on the battlefield of Culloden. So who do we believe? It's a little hard to say, but he is trying to get those stories, the stories that would be suppressed or not listened to. And as I said, I think he's trying to get stories of people, men and women, because he interviews women as well. He gets the stories of people who've lost loved ones, women who've lost brothers, sons, et cetera, et cetera. And people who are just ordinary people who happen to see and help Bonnie Prince Charlie on his escape from Scotland when he was trying to get to France. He gets people from all different classes and all different walks of life and does represent them. They're part of the whole stage of the play. And he's trying to get all the characters and all of their movements together and to understand it as a as a whole, as an organic whole with different perspectives uh, that he puts together. I think we can think of this as a fair copy, so something that he had copied from elsewhere. I mean, he is collecting original documents, letters that people have sent him. He's writing out what people have written to him in some cases, as well as writing out the transcript of the stories that he collected, the interviews that he collected. I think it's a mixture of things that is put together very carefully. So this would be the last version. This is the version that was going to be kept along the way. One can really see that his role is to bear witness. I think that's how he saw himself as somebody who was left and spared when other people weren't. And so his job is to collect the stories and the relics and put them together. Reading these last speeches of people, I find terribly moving, puts you into the mindset of people who claimed even to their deaths, this was treason. They maintain their belief politically and their belief in the religion that they have been practicing up to that point. And there is a sense that they have their eye on the prize that's not in this world, it's in the other world. So it's almost like listening the way that people speak. And these are 
being reconciled to only having a little while left to live, which is deeply humbling to listen to, regardless of whether you believe in the cause or not. It's just quite remarkable that people were willing to die for this cause of the Stuarts, put the Stuarts back on the throne because they believed so entirely that maybe the Stuarts weren't perfect, but any interference is wrong. And just to have that belief, it's just quite remarkable. I mean, that's part of the appeal of going back and seeing those moments where we understand history as something that's happened in a particular way, but this is putting us back in this position and looking at that point of transition. Our world has changed into a, a new reality, as did theirs. And we are feeling the transition now. Those ramifications and reverberations of history will follow all of us, no matter where we are, and it will become part of our history and embedded in our lives and our experience. Yeah, I think part of what made me so curious about the past is because my mother was uh, an immigrant. We had no family in North America when I was growing up. All of our family was back in, in England. And to me, the stories of family were the stories of the past. That was where connection lay. And investigating that, trying to find out what happened back then, it was all stories. It was my personal history as well as the history of my mother in the Second World War. So I, I find that so fascinating when you talk about listening to your mother's stories of the Depression, of the 30s, of all these times. That is reality. That's our personal history. And it's a way of connecting to the past in a personal way to have those stories. Absolutely. I was thinking about what you said about times of transition as well, that we are living in a time of transition. We are between states and understanding from the ground up at these points can give people in the future insight into what happens why twists and turns in history happen in particular ways and what, what twists and turns don't happen. But I was also thinking in terms of this book of Jacobite stories, those transitions were like the transition into another world. All the stories that were circulating at the time, people wanted to know what they were thinking, what they were feeling. And we try and make the world black and white, but the world is not black and white. It's all constantly transitions. and so. What happens in that transition? There's so much potential. It's when we get real insight, I think, into the complications, the ambiguities that we live all the time. The moments of celebrating that transition, we are drawn to that, like being drawn to a magnet, kind of like, what's going on? How can we figure this out? Just how can we attend to this and understand more about ourselves? You brought up a very good point. And I love the word ambiguity. We want certainty. No question. We believe that certainty is our right and we are entitled to it. But we are not our best in certainty. We are our best in uncertainty and in chaos and in complexity. That's when we do our best work. And that's why I love studying literature because really good literature takes those moments and puts them in a frame and allows us to celebrate the ambiguity, the things that are 
most human about the humanities is are those ambiguities really aren't they we want things to be black and white but they're not and so i think literature or the arts help us to celebrate those moments of ambiguity and transition and where things aren't black and white and to recognize that's kind of the essence of being human that's why we're not robots there was not a black and white one and zero <laughs> to how we live our lives <laughs> how do we tell the story of us and how do we include other people's stories what is it that we need to do now and i think the link is exactly what we did today is the story you know leith i really am so glad that we have connected over the years would you come back again yeah absolutely your thoughtful questions are just wonderful rebecca and they have sent me into all kinds of fascinating thinking that has been very profound and useful Listeners, I invite you to meet up with Leith at the Centre for Scottish Studies at Simon Fraser University. The centre, located at university's beautiful Burnaby campus, provides a focal point for faculty, students, and all who are interested in exploring Scottish history and culture and the connections between Scotland and Canada in the contemporary global landscape. It is a place where the past reaches out to our time and reminds us to live boldly with courage and hope. And a very special thank you to you, Lee. You have opened the doors of the past and shared the profound stories of brave men and women who witnessed a pivotal transition in history. And until next time we meet dear friends be safe and be well